Welcome to Idle Inspiration, the show about finding our next favorite role-playing game or building it. My name is Caleb, and we're back. I'm David. How's it going? Good to be back. Yeah, very good to be back. Um, it's been a minute. It has been a, as I like to say, hot minute Yes, since we have <laughs> done Idle Inspiration, but we have returned to the scene of the crime. I don't know. Sometimes, okay. Sometimes my brain just says weird things like that i think i was listening back through this, these episodes and one, at one point i i think we were talking about our history with role playing games and i was like this man i have a long and sorted history with david uh, that's right <laughs> and i was like i didn't mean that i don't know <laughs> but yeah, just, you know, yeah, it's good. cliches just kind of tend to yeah. come out of my mouth i guess it's easy to do. Yeah. But yeah, what do we got up for this this one? Yeah, so we are here with episode eight, I think. Yeah, I think it's eight. <laughs> episode eight of Idle Inspiration. And we've been doing this for uh nine months now, something like that. So has it been already? Well, was... uh, episode a month, maybe. Um well yeah. I think we... we were pretty consistent early on, I think. Yeah, I think we started in like October or something, so. Maybe it hasn't been that quite that long, but yeah, we were consistent early on. Um, and we, and we released this every other week. Um, so that's, that was already kind of inherent in the, okay. in the releasing schedule. Was, there weren't going to be as many episodes. <laughs> um, but, yeah. uh, I like to say that means that each episode has more quality. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, but I guess that's up for you, listener to tell. <laughs> so well, I mean, they don't have a, they don't have a, every week episode to compare it to. So oh, that's take our word for it. <laughs> totally fair. I guess they can compare it to you in uh, sh- another show of mine that does happen weekly. So it, that's fair. Um, like the Christian artist. So, yeah, but I haven't done that for like two months. So, oh man, well, but we're in July. We've hit July again. Uh, we're, we're back with more episodes of all the things. So I'm pumped uh, to get to it. Uh, so yeah, today we're going to be talking about um ad- adaptation uh published material and uh, like adapting it so if you're if you're coming at role playing games from a particular niche if you're coming at it from a the other direction that we came at it this may be incoherent to you you're like what you pre-made adventures for a role playing game that doesn't make any sense aren't you supposed to make it up Yes, in theory. Yes, you are supposed to. Um, but there's a particular substrata of game that uh, it's it's popular to have like pre-made scenarios kind of made for. And this is usually like the crunchier games, right? Um, because in the like apocalypse world style games, it really doesn't make a lot of sense, even in the way the game is built to have pre-made anything. True. A lot of games do have at least like introductory adventures in the bottom of the back of the book. So I think it's a pretty common thing in most games to at least have like an introductory, which is, is basically just a small pre-built, right? Yeah. Oftentimes it even comes to characters. But yeah, I think it's much more common to have proper like published full on books <laughs> from games that are, yeah, like you said, crunchier, like um yeah. Like D&D obviously is the primary one. Pathfinder, I think, has a billion of them. Oh, yeah. Those sorts of games. Yeah. You know, the kind where people can just make up some characters, throw some maps out of thing, figure out what's going on and publish it and get people to buy it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And like, you know, I think Burning Wheel has uh, an introductory adventure on their website that you can download. Um, Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. (laughs) That that is, it's, it's adventure is definitely more loose than a 
um D and D. Imagine it would have to yeah. be, yeah. Because again, different play styles, different games will uh only, will give you a certain amount of info. D and D is the tor- type of game that is more granular in those sort of details, and so we'll give you. Like, well, there's this town and the, here's all the people in the town. And then if you go here, this is what happens. And yeah. Yeah. Here's here's the dialogue you get from this character. <laughs> yeah. Here's a di- yeah. here's a here's two pages of dialogue from this one NPC <laughs> and they're giving you a monologue. <laughs> yeah. And so we're, we're kind of continuing uh, in our chronology here. Uh, we, we, we've been more or less continuing chronologically. I guess we're backing up a little bit and going back to the world of Savage Tide, uh, right. the world of our D&D 3.5 adventures, uh, our, our first foray into role-playing games. Because I am about to uh, start my next long-running D&D campaign. Uh, so if you pay attention to anything's any of the things that I do on the internet, uh, you'll know that we just finished our three-year-long Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition campaign entitled Terranolius. We got all the way to level nineteen, I think, at the very end. That's nine levels farther than I've ever gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think you guys got to level thirteen or fourteen in Savage Tide. Oh, that's true. I guess I wasn't counting. Uh... Savage Tide because it was 3.5 and also like a long time ago. (laughs) So in in like D&D, I think you you have made it at least Mm -hmm. that far. That's true. uh, Yes. In terms of uh, your, um, although you made a 10th level character. um, Yeah. I think that's the only reason I've ever been at 10th level. I don't think I've ever actually gotten to 10th level. (laughs) I just made made a character for a one shot. Yeah. 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 Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But so I'm going to be adapting uh, for for our basically like a sequel campaign, so we're we're sticking in the same world. Our like alternate Earth turned into D and D races and magic and and that sort of thing. Uh, we're, we're continuing like 150 years in the future, uh, in the age of piracy, the golden age of piracy. Um, so it, the the kind of themes for the campaigns that I've kind of decided once we got to close to the end of Terranol yes ninety, we're going to do another one in the world. I started like I thought through like okay. What do I want these campaigns to feel like compared to each other? Like, are we taking, a, are we reversing the campaign? Are we suddenly going like in the middle of a city in the north, in Northern Europe? Is that what we're doing? Like complete reversal? Or are we taking a step sideways? And I, and I decided I think we're going to take a step sideways. I think the, the thing that Terra, that the Terra campaigns are going to focus on, because the next campaign is called Terra Invicta. Um, yes. so various, we're going to do various Latin phrases that mean blank, er, blank land or blank earth. Um, mm-hmm. so Ternalius was no man's land and now it's unconquered land. Um, uh, so okay. there are people there, but it's not conquered yet. Right. That's the idea. So it's going to focus on exploration, right? It's going to focus on that frontier of the world as it moves. Right. So, um, we had the, the new world get discovered in the first campaign, uh, we went to South America and now it's like okay, the world is more or less like people know about most of the places, but it's still kind of unconquered. So right Mm -hmm. now we are uh, on the coast of West Africa and we are going to kind of explore those last niches uh, in that on that along that coast uh, of like um, the last bastions of of the wilderness. Um, And uh, yeah, I'm going to be adapting the Savage Tide Adventure Path for that uh, setting. So we have talked about Savage Tide before, and I would love to continue talking about Savage Tide because it is has a very near and dear place in my heart. 
um, we we had you know a whole session where we talked about uh, our experiences with some of our players uh, talking about that original campaign. We talked about D and D three point five as a system. Uh, David and I kind of picked it apart a little bit. Um, I have since looked up even further about uh, the swashbuckler class and figured out a way that David could have made the class really great. Um, it unfortunately requires multi-classing, um, which means that yes, the class sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, unfortunately. Although, yeah, the the workaround you found did sound pretty fun. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it, it sounds. It sounded like this sort of fix that like um, makes both classes better, right? So, if the swashbuckler didn't exist, then the rogue wouldn't be as good for this sort of build. So, right, you know, right. it, it does have merit. It's just that you need this like one feat to like bridge that gap and then make the character awesome so right yeah it seems like it could have just been like a rogue subclass or something and that's what it is in D. <laughs> yeah yeah it seems like appropriate yep. yeah. mm-hmm. they figured it out uh so anyway yeah we're gonna be talking about adaptation um more broadly you know uh just adapting material for your game uh we're gonna be talking about um the uh uh just the the general like decisions you have to make as a gm when looking at any sort of um published material but also just inspiration too right like you're you're trying to adapt something uh anything uh for your group right so whatever it is you're particularly adapting um you have to or you should right (laughs) uh tweak it um at least somewhat for your group um and, and and i'm in a weird place right now where like i am not only adapting the Savage Tide Adventure Path, a 12-part written published adventure series by Paizo, uh, but I'm also adapting <laughs> our playthrough of Savage Tide. Oh boy, okay. For right, because I'm obviously going to be taking inspiration from our playthrough. Of course. Right? Yeah. And so it, I'm balancing that kind of weird, like, I know this is going to be like how much do I want to hew towards the written material? Or how much do I want to like hew towards the way we played it? And also how much do I want to take into account the things that I know are pl- my players are going to be interested in? And so I'm doing this kind of weird, uh, interesting balancing act. Um, I did yeah. actually go through and um, write up again, the entire first adventure uh, because I'm a maniac um <laughs> and i edited it along the way right so i i wrote it up in a separate text fo- like a, a word file and then like as i went edited it out as i r- wrote it out sentence by sentence i changed anything that i knew needed to be changed like i obviously changed the monsters and all that stuff and the treasure you found and those sort of things but also any like character detail uh, names or whatever that i had changed um right so yeah, it's a, it's a daunting task, but um, I am pretty yeah. confident right now that I have the first adventure pretty pinned um, with with the big strokes, I think, figured out for the rest of it. Um, but we'll we'll see as we go. Um, do you have any initial thoughts on this whole concept? Yeah, so um, actually, yeah, as you were talking, I, I thought I had the thought, you know, that's sort of already a thing with with pregen, right, is yeah. You're you're always striking. I mean, if, at least if you're doing it well, you know you're always striking a balance between what's written and what's presented, and converting it to fit with your group and what's happening, the decisions they make. Because if if a GM who knows their players 
is not going to be able to plan out what's going to happen. Then some guy in a, in a company who wrote this, you know, five years ago, definitely has no idea what your team's going to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, to be fair, they probably had more focus groups to use, but still, yeah. uh, you know, it's always going to be sort of a surprise. And so you have to be able to, even just using the book, be able to, to tweak things. So if you're just adapting it straight up, then definitely that's even a bigger element. Um, I think it's just more of a focus when you're, when you're converting it to, um, conferring its concepts and ideas and that kind of stuff instead of just, you know, tweaking things in there. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because the, um, the way that we played Savage Tide was pretty to the book, all things considered, but it was in such a way where, um, like I obviously adapted it, but it was like, whenever you guys had an idea or a character thing you wanted to add, I just threw it in also. Right. Um, there were definitely moments where I would like, right. uh, take in like characters that like enemies of yours or whatever and just drag them into the a battle that someone else was also a part of but it was interesting to to look back on it and and realize that yeah i pretty much played everything pretty pretty straight up um and i think part of it's just because i was probably intimidated by trying to change anything um but yeah which which is fine i mean that it works well yeah would, you know, which is a testament to a well-written or a poorly written, you know, adventure, whether or not, you know, it is strong enough to hold up to actual use, you know? Yeah. And, and, and it's just kind of funny to think, thinking about it because like, um, it, it definitely seems to me, obvi- and obviously we were all teenagers, so like I cut myself some slack here, but it seemed like any, any time, like we, we were running this, the adventure straight up and that made our we our backstory stuff with you guys re- weirdly discontinuous from the rest of the story, right? It would just be like, I guess David's brother shows up in this battle too, randomly. Right. But like, <laughs> yeah. there's also all these other villains that were originally part of the <laughs> adventure, also there, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I just kind of like also added your guys's people, um, but uh, I, I mean, I, that's kind of a given. Just uh, looking at who we were at the time that's probably as far as we could go with the continuity stuff that that we were we were messing with right yeah yeah just easing our way into that sort of stuff (laughs) Uh, but now i have a chance to like more firmly adapt um and and so what part of what i'm doing is i'm because there's a, a major setting overhaul and i am attempting to rewrite and rewire all of the major important bits to make sure they line up with the themes and the setting world building stuff we've already established for this world. Um, there's a, it's a major overhaul. Um, so the, the main strokes of the plot are going to be the same, but a lot of the reasons why they're happening and a lot of the like people who are doing them are going to change. Um, yeah, that's why it's a conversion and not just you being liberal with the book, right? Because you're not just changing names and applying character backstories. You're, you're, yeah, entirely reworking the, the yeah. content there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I think I've decided, like just the approaches that I've decided to have is I'm going to write up, I'm going to be pretty extensive in these, like in planning things and doing a lot of prep, but I'm prepping in such a way where I'm writing up the whole adventure and what's supposed to happen in, in all these areas and, you know, how the adventure lays them out. But, um, I'm, I'm pretty much, I think I'm going to do it an adventure at a time. 
And I'm also going to make sure I give myself plenty of improv tools in the way of uh, random encounter tables, um, uh, NPC stats, lots of maps in folders ready to go for any encounter right. that's going to happen, that sort of thing, right? Um, and obviously, I, ha I have a knowledge of the city itself that they're starting in. Um, and so um, I they have like the Savage Tide Players Guide where they like write up a, a bunch of different buildings and what's in them in, in oh, wow. this city. Um, and I went, I went through and wrote that up too, but I adapted it for our, our, our stuff that we're doing. So we changed a bunch of names and, and whatnot. Right. Right. And the religions and all that stuff. Um, but what I'll probably end up doing is take a session at a time and go back to my outline, go back to that written up thing that I've done. And if, if I need to change anything liberally to reflect what I've decided to improv in that session. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to prep a lot and then hold those hold that preparation loose in my fingers, ready to drop it at a moment's notice to yeah. serve the characters and where they're going. With it. It's probably good advice for running a module generally, right? Where yeah. if you're, if you're making changes to the text, you probably want to make note of that because especially if you like, if you like change a character's name, I think there was what, a, a, a pirate group yeah. in our campaign wow. where you change the name, but then a couple of times said the one in the book, I'll say, like you said, we're teens, so you can cut yourself some slack, but uh, um, you know, it's easy to do that sort of thing when you're changing it and don't have like, and a set thing of notes of what you changed, which you probably did, but it's easy to forget anyways. Yeah. But um, yeah, well, I think that's, that's generally good advice. <laughs> yeah, because well, I was going back and forth between um, what my any notes that I had written myself and printed up and the magazine. So and the magazine right. itself, right, has the names <laughs> printed like yeah, normal. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, that pirate group, actually, I am going with the original name for in, in the new okay new campaign nice. so i won't have that issue but i yeah yeah i mean and i'm honestly not going to be because i'm writing them up separately as another document i won't right. be actually referencing these during play yeah and and i did that specifically because i knew that that was an issue last time and especially because of i'm changing a lot more this yeah, time i want to make sure that i'm looking at a document that actually is accurate all the time right so, yeah um but yes i mean that a lot of times that can't that can be um uh difficult for a group um especially if you are literally just bought like the book or magazine that it's in and you just have a physical copy of it pdfs are really nice because you can print out a couple of sheets and then mark it up um without like making yourself cry um you know <laughs> yeah i feel like you wasted your 50 money. bucks or whatever yeah oh, yeah i didn't realize they're that expensive though. well one of the big D D campaign paths or whatever that they like descend into Avernus or you know those sorts of things right right where it's like a little mini campaign almost um yeah i don't i don't know if they've actually published in fifth edition like a full level one to 20 adventure path yo i don't think so. i don't know if there's one to 20 anything yeah um but uh obviously dungeon magazine did it three times <laughs> this was the last last one they last time they did it oh wow okay mm -hmm. i suppose as a magazine it's a little you do it one at a piece at a time instead of having to follow yes. all that work yep exactly yeah uh but yeah so lots of fun things have come up as i've uh attempted to adapt this um and i guess it, it'd be fun for me just to like kind of talk through some of the stuff that i'm planning on doing some of the stuff that i've kind of thought through um, one thing I definitely want to talk about, and I guess I'll go ahead and just start with this, um, because it's particularly relevant to you and, and the other Savage Thai people. Um, 
I, I think I mentioned before that I wanted to see if I could have you guys on like as guest stars, um, playing characters that were very reminiscent of your original right. characters. Um, yeah, so like Davis Hawkheart or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so I'm trying to think through. So what I actually did just for fun, because I the last month, anytime I have had, I've you know just been sitting around or whatever, and you know Carly's reading a book or whatever. I, I in and I'm reading through the Dungeon magazines. I'll, I one thing I did is I I wrote wrote up I made versions uh, level one versions of all of the characters from Savage Tide as like level one characters in fifth edition. Um, and so you know I just kind of envisioning like nice. what I would change or if I was going to introduce them. But then I was thinking back through and I'm like, okay, I need to figure out exactly what I'm doing with that because like the two ways that I could do it right are well at least two ways that come to mind. Uh, there might be another one is. I make the characters and just introduce them as NPCs. And then I have very much, I have a, a lot of control over like where they are, when they arrive, when they leave. And we don't have to worry about like guest slots or whatever. Or I try to get guest stars on in the main campaign and have you guys do that, you know, make versions of that character and, and, and join. But then we had, we might run into scheduling issues with that. And then the third idea I had actually, I just remembered was a lot of times what we'll do is we'll do, um, whenever someone's not free, uh, we're missing a player. We'll do, instead of continuing with the main campaign, we'll do side stories. Um, right. So we'll do, um, side D and D adventures set in the same world, uh, and taking a new taking part uh, taking place in a new part of the world uh doing something else one thing i want to do th this time when we do side stories um the last ones we did for terranolius they kind of just ended up going out around the whole world like anywhere and they're <laughs> very like a couple of them tied into the main story but like a lot of them were just random um but one thing i want to do because i have this whole region kind of mapped out now on the west coast of africa and like a lot of like notes about what's happening there what the races are, are there and all that stuff um, it, I think it would be fun to focus all the side stories still in this region and just like jump around that way. So they're all going to, yeah. they could be connected to what's generally going on in this region. I think that'll probably be more interesting uh, as a cohesive element too, if especially because if the theme is exploring this frontier, then you can have elements happening on the frontier that might not directly yeah. connect to that character, but still fit the theme and the... I haven't, I haven't seen the ones that you're saying where they didn't connect. So I don't know how cohesive they were, but I feel like that would probably help it feel like part of the main thing, even if the main characters aren't involved. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that I ended up doing with those is like, we would randomly improv this thing. And then I'd be like, uh, yeah. I want to tie this into the main story. How, how in the heck can I do that? Right. <laughs> yeah. And some it of it ended up being a little heavy, heavy handed. <laughs> like, why does this connect? And, and I guess my, my, um, uh, conceit was, well, this is, if you're watching this as a TV show, we, I wouldn't just show you random stuff that doesn't connect right. somehow. Right. So yeah. It's not like totally random that it would it would actually connect. It's just like this is obviously it's going to connect because I we were playing yeah. it. Yeah, um, like it's convenient, but of course it is. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but but then so my thought was to maybe have you guys join as your characters in those, right? Because because those would be more e easier to to get like, um, you know, probably. a guest star on, um, for one session to do just a one shot, right? Um. And then it'd be like, oh, yeah. Poddle's in this one random town. You know, like, let's <laughs> let's go hang with him for a little bit, you know, sort of a thing. 
Yeah, what I know of our schedule, I think it'd probably be a safer bet to err on the side of not having to worry about our schedules. It also, I think, just depends on how much you want to use the characters because you want them to be consistent. Then, yeah, you'd probably want them to be NPCs. And if we ever show up by chance, we'll just play that character. And if you want to have us build the NPC, that works too. You can just have us build a character and use them that way. I I think that's Uh, probably what I'll do no matter what is I'll have you guys make them um, so that you can have some more input on on. Yeah, yeah, and then if we ever happen to be free somehow by some miracle, then um, you know, yeah, we can just step into their shoes and and then uh, play them for that session, and then and then step out again. And I, I think you probably are familiar enough with them that you can, I'm sure you could do them justice without us being there. Uh, especially because, I mean, a lot of the characters don't have a lot of, uh, like you know, I mean, I remember talking about how when I <laughs> tried to role play Dalus at the end there, I was like, I don't know what Dalus sounds like because I hadn't really done a lot of that in character stuff. So you could basically make up most of it and be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. So and then my my thought along those lines, if I was going to do that, right? If I was going to if I was going to do like consistent NPCs in the main campaign, um, I wouldn't. I obviously wouldn't want to like just add them. And be like, well, there's another NPC you got to worry about. What I wanted to actually do is take a look at each adventure and then replace one of the NPCs in that adventure with one of your uh, characters. That's a good idea. So yeah. kind of like a, a a a cascading like introduction of these characters yeah. in each adventure, and they're replacing a character that already exists in that, but like with a more that's interesting good. NPC, basically, right? right. Um, yeah. Because so in the first, my idea with the first one, uh, first adventure is to so there's that. I don't, I don't know if you remember this. You were you were there when you met this character, but there's like a kobold cook slash poisoner who worked for that thieves guild in the first adventure. And like you ended, she ended up like coming with you and like working for Lavinia. Yeah, it does um, vaguely ring a bell. <laughs> but I think I'm I'm thinking of replacing that kobold with Pottle, right? Yeah, so of <laughs> just have Pottle show up as like the cook or poisoner or whatever, right? Um, and I'll ask Connor about some thoughts there. Like, why does he work yeah. for this thieves guild? Yeah, um, definitely. But uh although I'll have to be uh I'll have to be level three to actually be my character because I won't be a swashbuckler to level three. <laughs> and you will because you I think I'm gonna introduce you and Lance um in episodes in, in part three, the the ship voyage. Okay, yeah, nice. Um as two of the the new like crew members that get hired, right? Um because you, you your characters kind of go together anyway. Yeah, um yeah. so but uh, so that's my idea. I, I think, cool. I think, I think that was, sounds like a good, I think that'd be fun. Right. And I'll just yeah. ask you guys for input onto like how you guys want your characters to fit in. Um, yeah. You could even shoot one of, you know, each of us like a message and say, yeah, here's the, here's the scenario. What is your character doing? Yeah. How are they, you know, why are they here and all that stuff? And then just run mm-hmm. with it. Just, yeah. just, I think that would be fun. And we can always just send you a message. That's not hard to do scheduling wise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, and then if if for whatever reason you guys uh, could pop on for a thing or, or whatever, um, we could do that too. Uh, and yeah, depending definitely. depending on where the NPCs actually go in the story, um, we could definitely uh, do a one shot or something on the side story, uh, and and have right, you yeah. still play that NPC if they've like left the story at that point and gone to do something else. Um, yeah, or you could set up some future thing with the character that yep. the players are going to run into, kind of thing. Yep. Cool. Yeah, that, that'll be fine. I think. Um, Mainly because, like, there are a lot of NPCs that aren't, at least from my perspective, like, looking back on Savage Tide, it's like, we didn't care about that NPC. Like, they seemed sort of boring. And whether or not that was just, like, 
us or the NPC itself in the game is rather unimportant. Um, who knows? But I think it would be fun to kind of replace a couple of those NPCs with uh, your guys's like versions of your guys's characters for this setting. Um, and yeah, I think that's a really good idea. Yeah, that that'll be really fun. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it'll be really fun for for you guys if if you watch exactly because um, like somebody who's just watching it won't even probably register that that's happening. But for us, obviously, it'll be yeah, uh, it'll be fun. So. Yeah, because because this is in a lot of ways going to be a love letter to our first experience with Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Um, it's going to be so fun for me to see someone else, like a different group do the, like run, go through the same thing and like oh, see yeah. the different choices they make. Um, and I, I imagine by the end of the game, it will be like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Unrecognizable. Uh, un- yeah. Unrecognizable exactly. from either our campaign or the campaign, the actual written campaign itself. Right. Yeah. Probably um, both. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, and I'm leaving that, like like I'm, I'm expecting that and then yeah, getting ready works. for it and i um, think that's a, that's also good advice generally just to assume that just because you have an expectation of a thing it's not gonna that's not what it's gonna look like at least not in the exact form you have it in yeah um and and if you if you resist that it usually just comes off as railroady and not fun for anybody so you know <laughs> though that this does tie into another important thing to remember about adaptation and using published material and that's player buy-in um yes right so when when you start a campaign like this if you say hey guys i have this published adventure are we fine with you know like it says that at the beginning of the adventure the characters get hired by this guy to do this thing are y'all okay with that being the starting thing and you're gonna more or less work for this guy for this mission and as long as they say yes then there you go you're good like you've brought bought player you got player buy-in right away the adventure can 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 go on like it's supposed to um and especially you basically it's important to just ask the players like okay guys this is published a published material are we okay like do we want to play this like follow the railroad like because it will be obvious right like you know this is what you're supposed to do it usually is obvious right um and as long as the players are like yeah sure let's let's follow the story that they've written out here and see see how fun it is right there you go you're good right um, but it's important to know that going into the game, because if if you just start a game like that's published and your expectations are this way and then the players don't know what to expect. And, and like, they, what if we just bought this tavern and run the tavern? And you're like, I there's literally zero yeah. information about that. I don't exactly. can't do that. <laughs> exactly. That's no fun. Right. If you get to that point and then have to tell them, no, you right. can't do that because I don't know what happens here that's just a bad yeah. time for everybody it's, it's also not fun for you because you're trying to run an adventure you've just read and done a bunch of work on and now none of that matters and yeah which is probably just because there was a miscommunication somewhere and and sometimes sometimes you'll have players who are like are you cool with this and they'll say yes and the answer was sure why not but i'm actually gonna do something else once i get there so that's also a thing to watch for but yeah i don't really know there's much you can do about that other than find very clear with or that yeah <laughs> that sounds like a jerk move to me i mean yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah so so that's important um and and for for the game that we're going to be doing i think it will be pretty okay um uh, like mainly because right if you remember correct uh david um the game starts off where you're working for this noble lady right uh, you're working for lavinia yes. vanderborn uh right, yeah. trying to find her missing brother right and like as long as the players are working for Lavinia, like they have a very good reason to follow whatever the plot is. Um, 
And so we shouldn't we shouldn't have to worry too much about like legit the you know everything about the adventure just implodes and we I have to make up something completely new um, because the conceit of the adventure isn't like some sort of weird the 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 characters follow the trail just yeah. because they're heroes right that sort of adventure adventure style you in a tavern weird. you hate each other for some reason you work together anyways <laughs> right like none of that's going to be there um i'm gonna you know one of the th- we're gonna do a session zero and talk about like okay yeah, guys a, yeah y- yeah <laughs> okay guys like you know lavinia is gonna n- notice that you have done something uh you know come up with something that each of your characters have done noticeable or noteworthy uh, that why Lavinia would like send you a letter and try to try to hire you for this mission. And then I'm also going to ask like, okay, are you guys like a an existing party or are you like going to be formed for this specifically? And if they say, well, we should meet each other, then we, we we're going to go in with the expectation. I want to make sure everybody knows this. Like your characters are going to get along. You're going to stick together, right? Like you, you can't, you don't have the option of saying, like yeah there's uh there's no magically you can't murder each other's spell in uh in savage tides so uh you have to get along sorry <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah right so like and, ov- and obviously i know my players are gonna be good about that because they're good players um right so th- they're wow. gonna <laughs> well, well, but you guys would do that too right like honestly do we we well, hate so- each other in every game we play now <laughs> our characters do i mean that is uh, I'm, true I'm just, I'm just giving you a hard time <laughs> that is actually true but yeah that's mostly my fault. Anyways, you know, go ahead. You know what's actually so interesting about that? I think it's always been our parties, but instead of changing that they don't hate each other, we've changed the way we approach how they hate each other. So yeah, that that's it's true. like this weird tension <laughs> that, that yeah. <laughs> but you guys are still together, right? right. You, you've gotten good at not doing things that would legitimately just lead to breaking up the group, but there, but that doesn't mean that the tension has gone away. Yeah. Although I do remember Josh being like, I almost was like, my character has no reason to stay with these people. So, <laughs> yeah. So maybe we're getting better at it, but it's still there. Yeah. But honestly, I, I just, personally, I like that. I, I prefer a little party tension. Oh, yeah. Like right. I just, I've had a lot of everyone's friends and now I like everyone's not friends. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think for, for this game, like there, there was definitely some, it, it was the same sort of thing with Terranolius, right? Where like, you have uh, a group that was that got together for this, like to work for this guy and like go explore. So that was the conceit of the game from the from the start. And so, like, there were tensions where the characters maybe were like, I don't know if I don't want to work for this guy anymore. But like, we right. dealt with that in character and figured out wh- a reason why they would continue doing what they're yeah. doing. Um, right. And then also, I know my players well enough because like once we got this like world ending quest thing happening, all the players were like. I guess we have to save yeah. the world, right? None of them were going to be like, eh. right, exactly. Like they, they, <laughs> and, and they did it in such a way where they saw the plot hooks that I was dangling. And instead of just ignoring them, they were like, how would my character approach putting their coat on this hook? Right. Like yeah. they, they didn't just do it because it was like, well, we got to do it. It, they, right. they thought through like, this is how my character would approach trying to save the world. Um, and it worked really well. I imagine that's the sort of stuff that's going to happen with this campaign as well. Um, yeah. They'll see the plot hooks and they'll go for them uh, because they'll know that's where the story is going and then gladly accept their character's approach to, you know, uh, whatever that plot is trying to push them to do. Yeah, I think that's something to be said about about pre-generated stuff is it's it's or even not pre-generated stuff, but stuff that has, you know, clearly defined 
plot hooks is you have then a structure to show your character in mm-hmm. as opposed to one where you go in knowing that no matter what the plot hooks are, you just play your character, no matter what it does to the plot. hook. Both are fun. Um, you know what? It's kind of liberating in one case to be like, this is very clearly the expectation, but I think my character would do this. Um, and it's also, but it's also fun to be like, okay, this is a thing that has to be done because otherwise the world would, how, how would my character do that? Right. Because yeah. then it's, it's, you're watching your character bend in a way they might not normally bend, but have to because it makes sense narratively yeah. that they would. And you get to see how they react to that because people don't always act exactly the way that they, you know, the same way all the time. In fact, no one does. So it's it's fun sometimes to have sort of a, com- a compelling element that pushes you to see how your character would act in a situation they wouldn't normally be in. <laughs> because it's it's not a thing I, at least that I personally do very naturally. I usually am trying to play to the character, but oftentimes that can be to the point where I'm only playing the character and I'm not letting the character be a human being where they would be different in different circumstances, right? <laughs> yeah. They would act differently. You know, you act a lot different when you're grouchy than when you're normal, when yeah. you're rested, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think I think it's kind of a fun exercise, I guess it's what I'm getting at, to, to see that, right? To see how your character interacts in a situation where they might not normally have gotten themselves into that situation on purpose <laughs> yeah and and there's also something to be said for me as a gm making sure that i am approaching the um approaching the way that i'm introducing these elements uh in such a way that um i'm giving more specific hooks for each character right, right Where I'm, yeah. I'm i'm adding yeah. something about the way about what's going on that's more compelling to a particular character right yeah, like i say spotlighting you know that your sister's yeah. involved in whatever's going on here right like you right. get hints about that well you want you know yeah that sort of thing and that's um, good storytelling generally right to hook yeah. characters into what's going on and so they don't feel removed <laughs> yeah and that's that's actually one of the most fun things that i've been doing so far uh once as i get these uh my players character ideas filtering in as they're thinking through it before we start here um uh, Emily said, sorry, I am going to make my character on session zero. I do. I, I don't think about D&D when I'm not <laughs> not playing it like uh, so I'll I'll, I'll yeah, come no, up with my character that I know. Right. Like that's the way Emily's brain works. She's just like, I just don't think about it after, uh, um, before that. Um, but she'll but, but it'll work fine because she'll fill in whatever party slot we need uh, left over. Right. Um, <laughs> but the rest of the of the party has been getting me ideas and things and, and I've been asking them questions and I've already been able to tie all three of those characters into the story in some really profound ways by tying their backstories into the factions and the, the NPCs right. that are already existing yeah. Um, yeah. so that we can. Uh, and, I, and I'm also because I know the whole thing because I have all 12 magazines in front of me right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I can literally look at Adventure 7 and be like. Right. All right, cool. Uh, this character's uh, relative is involved in this sequence. Yeah, uh, and I'm going to foreshadow yeah. that from the very beginning, right? Like, right, yeah. Um, it's been really fun to look at those broad strokes and like break down each adventure by its like main plot elements and then pick and choose some of them to like swap out uh, like who's doing them or who's involved with them to make it more centered on our campaign and, and the characters right. that, that we have. Like, I, you know, I made, I don't think my players will listen to this this uh uh episode or even this podcast uh so i i'm and i'll but i'll still speak in general terms i made one of the characters like father the leader of the crimson fleet um ah, the nice. pirate fleet um very cool uh so 
that that will will come up and in that character doesn't really know a whole lot about what her family's been doing cuz she's been gone from them for a long time. Um, okay. So it will it will be a little bit of a of a surprise once the name gets dropped by a pirate <laughs> and she's like <laughs> <Right>. what? what? <laughs> yeah. So that sort of stuff will be fun uh to to throw in there. Um there's a lot of end game sort of stuff that I'm you know swapping and switching around for our setting because like the game goes to the abyss. And the abyss in our game looks right. different than yeah, the abyss in Greyhawk, <laughs> the setting. Um, so that that sort of stuff will be fun. Um, it's been really fun to. So one of the things that I decided to do because we, so Terran Elias was very Mesoamerican themed, right? Because it's, it's set in the New World. Um, lots of Aztec and Mayan influences. Right. Yeah. Part part of that is because of the movie The Fountain uh, by Darren Aronofsky, directed by right. Darren Aronofsky, uh, which has a lot of that sort of themes going on with it. And that, that was my main inspiration for the campaign. But part of that inspiration too was uh, the Savage Hide Adventure Path because the Savage Hide Adventure Path has a make, made up race called the Olmans who are kind of like Mesoamerican in feel, uh, kind of Mesoamerican slash Polynesian. Um, right. And their whole story on, on is like, that's what the Aladred is about, right? Is like their empire that fell and like, you know, demons right, took yeah. over their island, that whole thing. Yeah, there's a lot of that sort of, Aztec theme yep. kind of stuff yep. in it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's why I like that stuff so much is because Savage yeah. High was very influential uh-huh. on my tastes uh, for right. D&D. Um, and, but, but looking at this new campaign, I was like, well, I can't do that because I just did that. Like, I know we're not, like, I know my players don't want to stay in the Americas, right? Like, they want to go somewhere else. Like, we right. want to, like, explore a different part of the world. And so I like looked back, I read back through the stuff and I was like, okay, like what's another part, place in the world I can put this? And I, and I thought through a couple of things and I was like, okay, wait a second. Demogorgon, like, like the main demon enemy of the campaign is like a double baboon headed like demon. Like that's, that's the way he, but baboons, it was mandrels specifically. It's the type of, but like the ones with like the blue face. Um, right. Yeah. Those, those uh, monkeys. Um, they, they don't live in South America or North, like they live in Africa. And I was like, okay, well, if okay. that's the, if there's going to be a lot of like ape iconography and those sorts of things, it's probably in, uh, in, uh, Africa somewhere. And I looked, looked on the West coast of Africa, found a, found a, a town named Calabar that had some fun history and a cool name. And I was like, all right, yeah. Sasserine is go. renamed as Calabar. And, and this is where maps that and you're done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've done a lot of Googling of a lot of random trivia about the West coast of Africa. Um, and I've cannibalized all of it. Like it's going to be unrecognizable oh, yeah, from real yeah. life West coast Africa. Um, but I'm using a lot of the names and a lot of the like cultural icons and stuff for our version, uh, but it's an nice. alternate earth. So that's, you can yeah, do that sort of stuff. Um, and, uh, but I also found a, um, uh, a new mapping program called hexographer. Um, which you can use to, uh, you can zoom in on hexes and then generate more hexes based on the hexes and like zoom in on the scale, which is really, yeah, exactly. That's awesome. And so they actually, the people who made it, I bought it and I also, they, they give you a sample map, which is the world. They literally give you a map of (laughs) earth. (laughs) And I was like, this is perfect. So I just zoomed in on that region, generated more, more 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 map and then edited a little bit to like fit with what i needed it to be um and just 
there you go. That's my map. And I threw it on, uh, you know, put where the cities are. And, and, uh, this is the West coast of Africa. Um, That's awesome. So, uh, so that'll that, be, does it have like city functionality as well? I know Deus yeah. is doing anything like that. Um, it's no, not, it's not quite at that detailed. Um, you can go all the way up to like a province map and like, you know, have it really zoomed in. Um, oh, and wow, at that okay. point you That's can cool. make urban tiles, um, you know, and uh, just be like, this is I where the city is, but it, it is pretty fun. Um, yeah. So hexographer or worldographer is the version that has like, you can zoom in okay. and whatnot. Right, right, right. Um, but uh, that that was really fun. But but it's been fun to just generally adapt the um, myths and stuff of the Savage Tide to fit in this kind of African theme that we've uh, we've decided. Oh yeah, I bet. Right. So yeah, I'm sort of changing a lot of the stuff around uh, of like you know the stuff on the Isle of Dread, um, uh, and also as I do in campaigns, I will like make a giant list of inspirations and just consume yeah. all of them right so i wa- i've right. been watching a bunch of movies i've been listening to a bunch of soundtracks i've been reading some novels um and uh i uh, it's been fun to like because i know the adventure so well the the campaign so well at this point i've read through all of it multiple times when i was like listening like watching these movies and uh listening to these this music and stuff i was able to just like apply each of these things to the specific adventure i was like ooh this peter jackson's king kong movie like this is going to be my inspiration for the isle of dread like i'm going to focus on it being like this lost island that no one knows about and like it's mysterious and there's giant monsters that people haven't heard of there right yeah kind of focus on that that horror theme of like the you know explorers on a an island that's trying to kill them um and uh you know obviously pirates of the caribbean is going to be a huge influence uh because it's the eight golden age of piracy we're doing it in um so it's been fun to like read read and listen through all that stuff and 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 start kind of uh adapting it in my brain towards um what i'm going to be doing with these these adventures um and they are um um what what am I trying to say? They're they're broad enough and and uh, adaptable enough that it's pretty easy to slot things in and out, um, lore wise, and still have the bones of the plot. Uh, I don't think of a better way to say that. They are distinct enough, flexible modules, like little pieces okay. that yeah. I can switch them around. And the plot itself, the the bones of the plot will still work Um, because the plot is the plot is pretty obvious and clear and distinct. And so as long as I I could switch out monsters and and a lot of stuff in in the games themselves, in the adventures themselves, without actually ruining the the plot, um, the the actual main thrust of what's going on in that adventure. Um, so it's been fun to like right, yeah. switch out like, all right, well, uh, in, in the, uh, adventure here, there's like a whole tribe of troglodytes, uh, but I don't really want them to be troglodytes. So let's just entirely change them to be something that's more fitting for our campaign. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's going to be interesting because I, so I've decided to really try to hone in on a particular, um, set of racial enemies here um because so you know in our game there was a lot of stuff going on with like lizard folk and uh that was a main thrust of our game because of dagoth because of J- trevor's character 
Um, right, yeah. But in ours, that we don't ha- necessarily have a lizard folk. Um, so th- I don't know if that you know that might not be as big of a yeah. focus. But but I was thinking through like the the sort of enemies that would pop up, and I want to like consolidate because in Savage Tide, a lot of times they have they just have fun with being like, but what if this monster showed up? And it's it, it feels sort of like <laughs> yeah, if you're trying to stick on a theme. It feels sort of random that and now because the enemies are just bad people, they have this bad guy and then this other bad guy, this this other bad thing. Um, but uh, I, I what I looked did is I looked at Demogorgon, right? So this demon lord, he has baboon heads, uh, tentacle arms and dinosaur feet. <laughs> OK, so I'm like, OK, well, there are my three main enemy types right that's a lot of different options in there apes like squids octopus sort of stuff and um lizardy yeah dinosaur stuff yeah Yeah, i mean Um, i feel like that about covers it (laughs) right and that that can be a fun fun reveal you know when they actually like get get to knowing who their enemy is and like know what he looks like they're like oh all the enemies we've been fighting have been these three like different types of himself right (laughs) Um, because they're all tied to this, right? Demon. Yeah, yeah. This is all because of this guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that sort of stuff has been fun. Just like looking for ways to tighten it, um, to make it more thematically poignant, not only just inherently and like self-contained, but also for our specific group. Um, so. right? Yeah, yeah. So, David, here's my question for you: If you were going okay, to do yeah. this. If you were going to DM a campaign like this, what were some, okay. what were what are some things that you would try to try to tackle? Oh boy! Like if I was going to try and convert this to a, a game, yeah. Oh, I don't know. If you literally, if I was literally like David, I want you to run the Savage Tide for us, <laughs> like for us, right. but you run it this time. <laughs> um, <laughs> what would you do? Oh boy! I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like. I mean, you've hit most of the important ones on the head, right? Is you want to, I think even if I was just running it out of a book, make sure that things are involving the characters and their backstories and that the characters are part of the setting and not just inserted into it. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's the downfall of a lot of them is people make their characters often without having any idea what's happening. Yeah, And then the GM just puts them in there. The backstory never comes up. Or if it does, it's completely just jarring because you're like, why? Um, Because it has nothing to do with what's going on. Um, uh, although, I mean, there are ways to just have it be its own thing and still feel natural. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think you did that pretty well, um, to be honest in our Sabotai campaign, but, uh, but obviously like you said, doing it the way you, you've mentioned in here and integrating it into the backstory is a lot more organic and, uh, as it comes up. So like those, I think are probably the biggest things just to figure out who your characters are and integrating them. But yeah. Yeah, I don't know. With Savage Head specifically, I, honestly, I'd have to do a lot, like you said, watching videos and stuff. I do not know much about, like, uh, like especially, especially like, uh, that kind of area, like, African culture there, or, like, uh, the Polynesian or, or uh, Mesoamerican cultures that, that relies really heavily on. I know very little about them, yeah. so I'd probably have to brush up a lot on that. I think would be my first thing. I'd have to, like, learn about it, because... D&D especially, I think, can fall into a pit trap where everything will feel the same unless you put a lot of effort into making it not feel the same mm-hmm. as far as like um, like setting. Uh, because, I mean, mostly because D&D has a setting. 
Yeah. And it'll feel like that unless you make it not feel like that. Um, and so I think that it, especially with D and D, especially with, a, uh, and I guess, I guess to be fair, this is where um, a module helps is it, it helps you do some of that flavor for you, but yeah. in this case, you're converting it um, is yeah. You, you have to sort of brush up on that stuff because you want to do a justice, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm not sure. I think those would probably be like my first steps, I guess. Yeah. Um, the other thing I realized like of the things to talk about in terms of the adaptation that I'm doing specifically, right? right? Like with this situation and what you would be, I mean, if, if you were to do this, I assume you would also change it to fifth edition. Um, oh, yes. Right. And that that's the other thing I forgot to mention, uh-huh. right? Obviously, yeah, this is a 3.5 campaign, um, but uh, originally, but I'm adapting it to fifth edition because that's what we play uh, typically. And so that is right. an important thing uh, to talk about is yeah. and how- probably also a lot of work. It's a lot of busy work. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Specifically, it's it's like it's trying to get a good understanding of the way that 3.5 handled these things and then how fifth edition handles the same things so that I can make sure that right. I'm translating them correctly. Um, and it's taken a little bit, but I th- I think so the first time we talked about this uh, Savage Side in, in D3.5, remember, I think I did mention that I started adapting um savage tide for fifth edition just for fun um right right before i really knew that we were going to do it uh for our, our game but uh i once i got back to, back got back to it last month um i really did a, a better look at it and i think i have a much better handle on fifth edition's handling of cr and monsters and npcs mm, than i did right. uh back then I'm real. I'm realizing that um, a a CR blank in fifth edition is a suitable challenge for, like you know, typically let's say it's a CR one. Um, it's a challenge. Four of them are typically a challenge for a party of C of, of level one characters. I think it's supposed um, to be just the one. Or right? or no, sorry, that's I was doing it the other way around. Three point five does that. That's what 3.5 is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. I think 5e said it's 5e supposed to be one CR1. is supposed to be is for four, for level four one adventures. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I was switching them around in my head. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No so apparently I don't have an, an, an understanding. <laughs> I thought I did. But that's yes, fine. It's that, early. That's what it is. And I knew as soon as I said it that I was, that was wrong. But yeah. Um, one CR1 is a challenge for a full party. Where yeah, in D&D exactly. 3.5, a CR1 is one pr- party member could fight this guy and survive. Uh, um okay. which at first right when i was uh, adapting savage tide i just did a one-for-one one translation where i was like this is a cr1 so it's a cr1 here which would have been you're like disaster. wow why is everything so hard <laughs> exactly i was like this doesn't make any sense but then i i look back through and i'm like oh divide everything by four and you have a better number um right so uh you you right. have a cr1 in 3.5 that's a cr one fourth um in right. th- in, in yeah. which did 3.5 even have sub one it did yeah it did okay it did i guess like i guess that makes sense for like things like snakes or you know exactly yeah. one person could kill four of them i guess there weren't any cr0 things in 3.5 and there are cr0 uh, things yeah. in fifth edition right um, because they scaled it like that they had to go even further down <laughs> to get to the same level of even less useful than a snake exactly dangerous i guess yeah. <laughs> um so that's been the kind of fun fun balance i've had to do also in fifth edition they give out a lot less treasure 
3.5 is very mm. liberal with treasure. Yeah. I think because there's a lot more money going around. Like there's a lot more things <laughs> you can buy in 3.5. Fifth yeah. edition, they don't give magic item well, prices. <laughs> and it makes sense because in DD 3.5, you're like best magical items like plus 10. You got a lot of work before you're useful. Yeah, I in, think it's plus in five. D&D, but yeah. In, oh, okay, yeah. In 5e, it's like once you hit plus three, you're so legendary that yep. it's like, how did you even get this thing? Yep. So I feel like the progression scale is just so much shorter that they have to spread it out more. Yep. Um, and I mean, I, I don't know if that's necessarily better or worse, but it's, it's just the direction they went. Yep. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's fair. You definitely could not just one for one to loot either. Yeah. Um, um, but luckily a lot of the magic items carry over. Um, and so I would, I would basically just be comparing. I went through it, you know, individually each time there's like a treasure hoard and I just replaced it with the thing. Like I usually have halved or third or two thirds the treasure, right? Wh- whatever I feel like makes sense there. Right. Um, and, and mainly just made sure it was in this, the, the guidelines for a treasure hoard of that level. Um, you know, went back to the DMG and fifth edition and made sure that it generally fit that, um, that, that stuff. Uh, and right, then right. looked at the magic items and then said, okay, is there a magic item that is this thing in fifth edition? And if so, then I looked at that and if it still fit in that treasure hoard, if it would still be possible to be in there, then I just put that same magic item there. Otherwise right, I found that something sense. that was more or less similar in the same, um, same, uh, treasure hoard Value. range. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Like I said, that sounds like a lot of busy work, but I'm, yeah, it's obviously worth or necessary because if you have combats that are impossible or treasure that's not worth it then you know or too much treasure <laughs> yeah yeah in that case probably more likely to be too much yeah <laughs> yeah you're like well i guess we just retire bye right i know right exactly <laughs> I think prices are also like you know we we're walking around tens of thousands of gold 3.5 and we we're like you know you, you could you know that was a lot but still but in like uh in 5e short of like legendary or like uh, you know, very rare magic items. Things are cheap as chips, mostly comparatively. But, but, but that's the thing. So B- because fifth edition doesn't even give you prices for magic items, that wasn't even a thing. Well, yeah, that's right. True. Like yeah. you had to just you as a DM just had to make it up it. if right. you were going to sell magic items. But, but the game itself, like, kind of implied that magic items were rare enough that people didn't just sell them. Right. right? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> but but and so and so this is actually one and one of the things that I have been doing based on that in, insight there is I've I've been really evaluating 3.5 compared to 5th edition. And I've been taking some elements of 3.5 that I really like and importing it to 5th edition, right? And, and one of those things is going to be magic items are more, like, um, common in, in our... in our I, And I'm saying, like, I think our setting in, in Terranolius or whatever has, a, has advanced a little bit and magic is becoming more and more common so that okay. before... In Terranolius, like it would be like find all these magic items. Uh, you, you, if you find a magic item in the jungle here, it's a magic item that's been around for hundreds of years and has a bunch of history with it. Um, right. You know, because it was made by an ancient race of you know whatever. Um, but I want yeah. the ability to. I want like a, a thug in our new campaign to like have a bunch of potions on him, and that's just normal. Right, like right. Yeah, yeah, for for um, like them to have minor magic items, and it's just like, well, I just bought it from the magic shop. Yeah, um, and I go both I, directions. Yeah, and I and I want that to be like a distinct change from our last campaign as a setting advancement, right. um, because I'm starting to look forward to a Eberron type, okay. like magic tech world in the future. 
um, right, because right. we're going forward in the timeline, right? Mm-hmm. And I I want it to eventually get to like a industrial age toward a sort of thing, sort of feel, but it's going right. to be match tech and not just you know our technology, right? So um, we're sort of we're sort of seeing the the dark ages transition into high medieval, but magic wise. <laughs> yeah, I mean we're we're in a, yeah. in the Renaissance basically is is what it is. Or, or right, yeah, I guess that. Yeah, we we were in the high mid high Middle Ages, um, and now now okay. we're in the Renaissance, and then you'll eventually transition to industrial. Yeah, that yeah. sounds cool. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, and so I'm I'm specifically playing with that, and then I'm also I've found a bunch of tools to give magic items in fifth edition prices. Um, I want my players to be able to buy and sell a lot of things. That was one of the complaints that we right. one of the things that when we talked about the campaign, they wanted in the second campaign for sure is like we want one an opportunity. <laughs> to buy and sell things and to yeah. to have things to buy and sell because in right. fifth edition it's like uh, as you found out with your 10th level character once you get a bunch of gold you're just like i guess i buy an elephant like uh-huh. <laughs> what else <laughs> yes. i'm gonna buy you know exactly i forgot about that. that's hilarious <laughs> um, um, i'll do all this gold i'll buy a second elephant uh yeah, yeah. um give them more options I, there right i think as far as i'm aware the only rules for like buying and selling magical items in 5e is that they're like this rarity is this much money like this is one price for the entirety yes. rarity band and you're like okay yeah and, and that doesn't <laughs> obviously doesn't make any sense <laughs> right yeah um, so so yeah I, I found some tables for that um which will be fun um i also what was the other i know there was a couple of other like 3.5 things that i kind of poured Damage it over rich. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. Hmm, I don't know. I don't know. You do apples? No. That, that, I mean, that wasn't even a 3.5 thing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I can't remember now what it was, but there was, there was some other, like, just kind of the way that 3.5 feels in a certain area. I, I was adding some things um oh one interesting thing that i had to do is translate number crunching to uh the system so a lot of things in 3.5 just like you get a plus whatever bonus on your blank Um, yes there's lots of very small yeah and that means that dcs in 3.5 can get a lot higher because you're expected uh, to have yeah. like this potion that can just randomly give you a plus 10 on something. Right. right? Yeah. Um, and in, in fifth edition, that's just not a thing, right? You get advantage, yeah. but that's yeah. it. That doesn't actually yeah. increase your bonus. Right. Yeah. You could get pretty, I think I had like what, because, because in 3.5, I'm pretty sure you put skill points into places. Yes. So like I had like 19 or 20 points in diplomacy. Pl- you plus probably 19 or 20 by the end of the game you probably so, had like a plus 32 in diplomacy <laughs> yeah oh yeah i think it was 19 or 20 when i when i remade him as a fighter yeah i think yeah. it was closer to 30 when i was still a swashbuckler yeah. and it's like that's i mean that's absurd obviously and so uh yeah i mean t- the, but the game is accounting for that possibility because you're allowed to yeah. dump points into one thing whereas yeah with with 5e you get you get um proficiencies and if you're a rogue you get expertise <laughs> that's <Yeah>. it <laughs> yep. so yeah yeah it's so definitely a different, a different i had to go balance. through those sorts of things and reevaluate retool them for i i like i, I usually would like decrease them by five or ten depending on um, right, yeah on, on the role um 
And uh, yeah, so I had I do a lot of that stuff. And the one thing I just I remember that I did indeed like want to port over is in 3.5 there is a something called the reaction table, um, and they they literally give you a a table. Let me let me see if I can find this again. And I didn't real like apparently I just was not paying attention to the rules of 3.5. <laughs> yeah, be- because apparently in the skill listing itself in dip- for diplomacy there's a table for influencing NPC attitudes and it literally just gives you like if they are, if their initial attitude is indifferent, oh, right, yeah. then here are the numbers you have to get to make them a different attitude. And like, yeah. they're pretty much always the same unless you as a DM decide to change them. And I was like, right. that would have been so helpful It's <laughs> because it's, 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 yeah. it's very well thought out, right? Like it's like, right. They have hostile, unfriendly, indifferent, friendly, and helpful. And I think fifth edition mentions these attitudes, but it doesn't give you the, specific yeah. numbers um and obviously those numbers wouldn't work uh for for fifth right. edition to just yeah. port them over but i could still find it convert, the, convert the that table yeah. and because basically it says like um you know if your initial ast- uh initial attitude is unfriendly uh if you get a less than five on your check uh <laughs> right if you fail very badly then they turn hostile if right. you get a five then they are still unfriendly. If you get a 15, they're indifferent. If you get a 25, they're friendly. If you get a 40, they're helpful. And then obviously it scales wow. depending Jeez. on their, on their attitude. Yeah. Yeah, um, right. right. So it's, it's, it's difficult to make a hostile or unfriendly person helpful, which means they will take risks to help you, which is the, like the most, like they love, they are dedicated to you. Right. Yeah. Um, as opposed to friendly or indifferent, where it's like indifferent, you, they don't care too much. You know, socially expected interaction is what they'll give you. Uh, friendly as wishes you well so they'll chat advise offer limited help and advocate for you um, and so on and so forth and then they have the opposite end which is unfriendly and hostile so right, yeah. unfriendly will wish you ill but hostile will take risks to hurt you um, <laughs> yeah and and that's sort of that that's helpful um, just to yeah. think through as like a tool for, for um, character interaction um, mainly Definitely. because um fifth edition tends to go a little bit too much on the rules light when it comes to <laughs> so, like any of these any of the skills yeah. um right like 3.5 actually gives you more to work with when you're looking at skills um in a yeah. way that like feels a bit more like this is a this is an actual part of the game instead of just a thing we can just ignore <laughs> yeah instead um, of the thing where like we're obligated to have this so that you can do other things besides kill people exactly kill people yeah. right it, with with fifth edition it, it literally says in the rules of like the persuasion skill like when it when it talks about like talking to people it says uh role playing like it describes role playing and if you, you you can talk to an npc and uh either there are two two approaches to role playing either you can just talk to the NPC and then the, the GM will just tell you how they respond based on how you talk to them, or you can make a role. And I'm like, either you just play your own weird improv acting game or you use the mechanisms that the game gives you to do this like what <laughs> what are you doing for this? Yeah, that's weird yeah well like, and like um, I, I don't know if you follow uh, I think it's uh, I don't remember the name of the studio, but it's a it's a YouTube channel and they make skits about D&D and they just recently made a video about deception where basically the video is about these the adventurers go in and they, and they accidentally kill the king and the king's advisor comes in and there's basically just like five minutes of them lying and one of the characters keeps rolling well. And so they basically like by the end of it have convinced his counselor that the woman who killed the king is actually the king and the king was a double. <laughs> 
and like because it's just ridiculous uh-huh. and yeah. you know it's when you simplify especially social stuff that far it's like I, this is nonsense but here we are i guess yeah mm-hmm. yep uh but but with this sort of influence npc attitudes chart like if i if i can find a way to like figure out the numbers for that like that will be really helpful to just have as a tool on the side always and just be like yeah. and, and i can literally just go off what the 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 adventure path says then because they all they'll often say initial attitude for this NPC is blank. And I can just be like, cool, sweet. That will help me just (laughs) figure out what they have to roll to, because in a lot of ways, you know, when we were doing persuasion checks and stuff in our internalius, it would just be like, whatever I'm feeling, like I just make it up in my head. Like you just kind of gauge what they want intent wise, um, which 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 works, works, but also this is a fun way to like make that a little bit more, like you can get partial successes and like kind of have a scale there, which is a little more yeah. fun. And it also works with their like disposition toward you. It's not like, oh, I'm going to convince you to do this one thing. It's like, I'm going to convince you that you like me enough to do this one thing. And now your disposition is different because it's sort of more believable, you know, yeah. like, or maybe, maybe even I'm convincing you to do a thing, but now you like me less, but you're still going to do it for whatever reason there, you know, which I guess would be up to you based on how that works. Yeah. But you know, that'd probably be more like an intimidation kind of thing, I guess. But like, yeah, I, I think that it's nice that it treats it. It almost treats the characters more like characters where you're caring about their disposition and not just yeah. whether or not they're doing the thing yeah. you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so there's, there have been a few things like that where I've, I've like found rules and things like as I've like, cause I, I literally wrote out the entire adventure myself again with my hands. So like I paid attention to every word in a way that I didn't before. Right. Um, and so I, I found a few things like that, that I was like, Oh, that's interesting. And I want to like, yeah. take that kind of feel and make sure that I incorporate that into our game. Um, because I feel like it's right. something that 3.5 encapsulates better than fifth edition. Um, so yeah. And it's, it's fun to see those, those differences and find out what I like on either, either end of that spectrum. Yeah. Definitely. Um, it's been fun to like adapt some, like a poison for fifth edition rules or, um, um, you know, obviously finding monsters that will fit the general idea of what, what this is supposed to be in the game right yeah um are there are there a pretty decent amount of monsters in 3.5 that aren't in 5e um specifically for savage tide there are a few that like they either were from a different book or they listed specifically and made a new monster stat block for the campaign so there are a couple there are a couple of those that like i have to just find the nearest equivalent um like there's there's a in the first adventure there's like a special like jumping spider monster that they put in there yeah. uh yeah <laughs> i know <laughs> you and your spiders uh <laughs> good old daylis being terrible uh, yeah spiders. i forgot about that <laughs> yep i kept that's why i kept throwing spiders at you <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. yep but uh um so i had to find some sort of other spider um stat block besides the specific one that they gave um that those sorts of things i'm sure there's plenty of those <laughs> but given given that fifth edition has been out for for uh, several years now uh there has been some yes um, there's a lot of supplements there's now. a lot more stuff yeah. now it, it, even stuff that's not just wizard of the coast but like you know um oh yeah Homebrew, there's tons of unofficial, um, stuff. unofficial yeah. stuff that has monsters that are similar to to what i need um yeah. i haven't run into anything like where it just doesn't work yet so Nice. Yeah, I imagine you'll be able to find something for. Yeah, as it gets to higher levels, I imagine that will get to more, more and more difficult though, because they right. they would make more and more specific 
yeah npc exactly. monsters that had class levels all out the wazoo and right you know, yeah um because that was just a thing in 3.5 class levels were thrown around all the time for monsters that was like yeah, how you made them just, better just weird <laughs> which in fifth edition you can tech in theory do like that's kind of what you can do uh in some ways but you have to like make sure that it you're checking these tables over and over and over again to make sure that you have the cr right <laughs> Um, right yeah <laughs> because it doesn't just say if you add this many class levels it increases by this amount of cr it's just like do they have this particular thing oh okay that increases it by this yeah. amount but yeah so far i haven't run into too much trouble there uh it's mainly just been a fun uh, exercise for me in understanding the two systems better uh which has been good so yeah yeah it's been a while since i've even like thought about 3.5 mechanically so yeah i bet yeah but it's a bit of a blast in the past. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and it, in, the, in some senses, it makes me just want to play 3.5 again because um, I'm like, oh, I actually get how this is supposed to work now. Like, <laughs> I feel like this would go much better. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure part of the uh, uh, our concerns were up to just us not understanding the <laughs> system properly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, stuff like that is fun. To, to do so yep uh that's been my adventure right now um just been converting savage tide to terra invicta our fifth it sounds like game. a wild ride i yeah. look forward to seeing how how it turns out it's been a lot of fun i'll have to talk to you about uh how you want dalis to be uh and uh talk through that yeah version of the character and that sort of stuff i'll need to message everybody about that uh yeah but I mean, yeah i i definitely yeah. wanted to like talk to you about that and get your input on what you think would be a good idea for that yeah, so I'm, that I'm sounds like a good plan yeah i think that'd be yeah i mean honestly i can just fire up a DD beyond and build a guy in like 10 minutes and send it yeah. to you because you know DD beyond <laughs> i mean so. or what you could do is you could i'll add you to the terra invicta game and you can make it with the character manager there because i have all the official D books on the character oh, nice. answer now and then it would all it would just be in in there already and i wouldn't yeah, have to true, yeah that's fair i say i do have a lot of the books but yeah that would be easier for just all around yeah yeah i think i have yeah, sure pretty have much more than everything so. i have all the main ones right i have yeah obviously player handbook but i have tasha's um right and morton canaan's that's something i really like about dnd beyond is like you can buy things piecemeal so i'm yep. literally just going through and being like i don't care about any of this stuff except this class bye yep. <laughs> Yeah. all right thanks that would infuriate so. me to no end because if i wanted to buy the book later i'd be like oh but i already it, bought this it does discount it oh that's nice that's good it does. yeah otherwise i wouldn't do it otherwise <laughs> yeah, i was yeah. like that would yeah. hurt me inside so much <laughs> yeah that makes yeah, sense exactly. yep. uh but uh yeah so at any rate yeah that uh, sounds like a lot of fun i'll i'll fire up that character um and yeah well I, i'm i'm excited to see how how uh that conversion goes especially to see 3.5 stuff in 5e yeah yeah it'll be fun to to see the ways because because you know we just played a, a three-year-long fifth edition campaign so now i'm looking at it and being like all right based on right. what we liked and didn't like how can i make this campaign better um and, yeah. and there's also an element of me doing this adventure path because i want to give this a different feel right before it was like I knew generally what the big stuff was ha was that was happening, but I just right. kind of threw the them in a sandbox and then made a story yeah. based on the random encounters that right. happened in the which sandbox, is totally which is, yeah, it was a great way to do it. And then we came up with a great story. But now that I have so much lore that we randomly improved, I have to make it consistent now. And right. I have to think, <laughs> I have to think about it a little bit more so I don't 
completely contradict myself. Yeah. Um, you, you run into the, I've done the world building. Now I have to adhere to the world building. Exactly. <laughs> I can't just do some work. Exactly. And I reached the very limits of that uh, in Terranolius where I, by the end of the campaign, I was listening back through old episodes and I was like, oh crap, I completely contradicted myself. I have to make oh, a no. way. I have to make, <laughs> I have to make this all make sense somehow. Um, and that is how the That's world funny. of Thray was born. It has to stay that way now. Um, but it's also right. fun because there were so many world-changing things that happened at the end of Terranolius. Now it's a chance to see how that shakes out. As I say, you can justify a lot of uh, a lot of new stuff, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I haven't seen the ending yet, but yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, we'll wrap this pod up, and then yeah. I, I need to talk to you about that. I need to <laughs> yeah, sounds good. tell you how the, how the ending went. <laughs> uh, yeah, cool. I think, that we're, I think we're done here. You want to outro yeah, awesome. us? Sure, yeah. Well, thank you guys for watching. Hope you enjoyed, and I hope you're inspired to play more role-playing games. Have a good one. Yeah.